You're listening to Inland Edition. I'm Lillian Vasquez. My guest is Dr. Ivan Rosenberg, founder and president of the Uniquely Abled Project. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So what is the Uniquely Able Project and what are its goals? Tell me a little bit about it. Well, it actually has two goals. So there are two big issues that it's dealing with. One is there's about 40 million people who are diagnosed as uh, disabled. And there's a whole bunch of other people who have employment challenges due to having been formally incarcerated or something else. And there's a 60 to 90% unemployment rate among those people. And that's pretty horrific if you think about it. And then on the other side, you have businesses who are just, and I'm not being exaggerating, they're screaming for workers. They cannot get the people they need. And what we said was, maybe these are solutions for each other. And that's really what the Uniquely Able Project's all about. Let's talk about the type of training this is and what it's for. What is CNC, Computer Numerical Control, and what is its nature of the work task and the environment? That This is one of the trainings that you have. Tell me what it is. Right. So CNC stands for Computer Numerical Control, and it's a reference to a type of manufacturing machine where a computer controls a cutting tool that essentially cuts a piece of metal into a shape that's needed by somebody, you know, usually an airplane or a uh, medical or something like that. It's a very precise work. Your tolerances generally are very, very small. It requires knowledge of computing. There's a right way and a wrong way. And you, and you don't want to do the wrong way right. because you may be dealing with a part that costs $10,000. So that's what a CNC machine is. And there is a huge demand for CNC operators. They just can't get enough. And there's lots of reasons, but part of it may be that manufacturing is not considered a, a high goal for people in high school. In fact, they have images of manufacturing as dirty and dark and dingy and all that kind of stuff, which is not how it is, but that's the picture. And so both because of that and for a number of other reasons, there's a lot of demand for CNC operators, which cannot be satisfied. Okay, so obviously we're going to tie these two together because that's why we're having the conversation. So who are good candidates for this specific CNC job and the training? What we saw was that if I come to a potential employer and I say, I'd like you to hire Joe and Joe's disabled, we're immediately in a charity conversation. Right. We're not in a business conversation because, right. because immediately you said, Joe... It lacks some. And in fact, that's the question that the employer would have. Well, what, what are they missing, right? What am I going to have to accommodate? What am I going to have to give up? Which has been a big obstacle to hiring those 40 million. What we saw, the big insight, was that everyone who has a diagnosis has a compensating unique ability. Mm -hmm. And the obvious one are people, for example, that are blind. And in general, statistically, they have heightened senses of hearing and touch, much better than you and I. Right. What nobody ever does is ask, well, what job could use that? Like being a masseuse, for example. And some people said they get the best massages they've ever gotten from somebody who's blind. Yeah. So, but nobody ever does that. So what we said was, instead of looking at people with a diagnosis as disabled, how about looking at them from the point of view of what their unique ability is? And that's where we coined the term 
uniquely able. So now I go to Joe, a potential employer, and say, I've got Henry. I think he fits your vacancy perfectly, and he's uniquely able to fit. Now the employer is interested. Different conversation. So to get back to your question, what we saw is, okay, what diagnoses, and yes, I'm speaking statistically, because everybody's different, and I acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. but if you're going to build a program, you've got to look at it statistically. We knew there was a huge demand for CNC operators, and what diagnosis fits that? Well, it turns out that those with level one autism are a perfect fit. Level one is requires the least support, used to be known as high functioning. Right. Uh, but, you know, usually they have uh, social issues, things like that. And it turns out they're a perfect match. Mm-hmm. And not just that they're a match for the job, but the job's a match for them. Again, statistically, but one of the kids, you say the graduates, said, you know, when I was growing up, my goal was to be a Lego designer. This is the adult version. Yeah. So tell me why it's a good fit for that population. Well, first of all, they're incredible. Again, statistically. Right. Not everybody. Yeah. They they are very used to dealing with computers, thinking logically. There's a right way and a wrong way. And they're very good at detecting when it's the wrong way. So if you're operating a multi-million dollar machine, you want to know when something's wrong. And through their hearing and their sight and other things, they can tell faster than you and I can. Something's not working right here. They're very focused. Generally, if you're running CNC, you may be running three at the same time. And so you've got to really be focused in on what's going on on each machine. So that's some of the reasons why they're just a wonderful fit. And by the way, of the 70 that have graduated so far, there's almost 100% placement, which is unheard of in vocational education programs. Let me take a second and reintroduce our guest is Dr. Ivan Rosenberg. He's the founder and president of the Uniquely Able Project. So I want you to paint a picture, if you can, of what it really looks like. Now, I'm guessing that it's very rote because that would be something else that um, individuals with autism are high function or level one, as you're calling them, because it's a beginning, middle, and end, beginning, middle, and end. And it's probably very rote, meaning it's the same thing almost every time or close to it. Is Can, can you paint a picture of what they actually learn and what they actually do when they go in? So two things in, uh, in terms of the, what the training program is and then what the job looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the training program is 17 weeks. It's full-time. And part of that is so that they get used to what full-time work is like. Right. You know, going to a job at eight o'clock, work until five, whatever, having a break. You want, they've got to get used to that. So the training program mimics that. Mm. Generally, they'll start with topics like safety, how to use a measurement tool, and how to read blueprints. And that's generally how it starts. So there's certain requirements. They've got to be able to do basic math, generally a high school diploma or something like that is required. Got to be able to read English and understand it. And then in general, and every program is different. Our job is to help what we call uniquely able academies, the training programs, get up and running. But we don't run them. We don't fund them. Everyone is slightly different depending on the local circumstances. So in general, the next one is often getting used to a manual machine, not the computer control, but getting experience on what is that 
sort of up close and personal. There's no there's no wall between you and the and the cutting tool. It's right there. Okay. So you really get an experience of what is going on in this machine, and then you move to the uh, computer control machines, and there are two types, which may be too much detail, but there's what's called milling machines, which shape a part, and then there are lathe machines which have rotating, which are making that kind of stuff. Okay. That's probably not much to you. So that's what they learn. There's also soft skills training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should back up a second and say, one of the things we saw when we were looking at training programs is why aren't there more successful training programs, vocational training programs for the uniquely able? What was in the way? And when I say, pl- when I say successful, I mean placement right. in a career job. So how come? And what we saw was there's eight functions that are required for success in such a program. And no one organization has all eight. And they don't collaborate, not because they don't want to, but there's no structure for collaboration. So we created something called the Uniquely Abled Academy. And all that is is a structure so that multiple organizations can collaborate to deliver all eight functions in a single program. So from the point of view of the student, they walk into this program and this program handles training on the machine. It handles training the instructors on how to train the population. It handles soft skills training. It handles job placement and search. It handles post-hire support. From the point of view of the student, it's one program, even though there are multiple service providers all the way through. And that's why it's successful. And, and so, that's part of the 17 weeks that you're referring to, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Other, than, other than the job placement, which occurs after they graduate and the post-hire support. But yes, that's all part of the 17 weeks. You've got to integrate the soft skills into the program. That's the important issue for people with autism. You know, um, how do I handle it? I've got a job that it's, it's, I'm pressed to get this out on a certain time. And Joe, one of my coworkers, wants to come up and chit chat. How do I handle that without annoying him, right? I mean, you'd be like, Joe, I can't talk to you right now, go away, right? Yeah. Well, that's not, you wanna find a better solution than that. Right, right. And so that's part of the soft skills training. Got it. Uh, and then we also have to train the managers uh, on how to be effective with this population. It's not difficult. There's just a few um, critical but useful tips. And we've got, um, a $120,000 grant from Mitsubishi America uh, Education Foundation. And to make up um, only videos to support the instructors for the soft skills training and to support managers. Let me stop you there. We need to take a quick break. But when we come back, I'd like to find out more about the motivation of employers who might hire some of the folks you're working to train. More about the Uniquely Abled Project with founder and president, Dr. Ivan Rosenberg, in a minute. I'm Lillian Vasquez, and this is Inland Edition on 91.9 KVCR. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Inland Edition. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We're speaking with Dr. Ivan Rosenberg about the Uniquely Abled Project, an undertaking that not only matches employers and careers with the right workers, but prepares both in order to ensure a high success rate. 
So now let me ask about the potential employers. And let's talk about the importance of a solid business basis, meaning don't hire because you feel sorry. Hire for the right reasons. And what are the right reasons? Because it's a good fit? Yeah, that's a broad way of saying it. Look, I'm not a social worker. I have no social work background. I'm a business person. I'm a consultant for business. I've started companies. I've led companies. I come at it from a business perspective. If I'm looking to hire somebody, my criteria is, can they fill the need I have? Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. There's nothing, that's all I'm concerned about. Yeah, I want to make sure it's economically viable and a bunch of other stuff. But my first question is, can they fill a need I have? That's a business conversation. And that's why we, we actually have a training program for job developers, the people who help people find jobs. And part of that training program is stay in a business conversation, not a charity. They're used to having a charity conversation. Right. And we want to train them. And those are available for free. On our website, we have seven one-hour videos to train job developers how to do that. But we want to stay focused on um, what's what we really want and not the charity angle of it. I understand that San Bernardino Valley College is preparing to offer the training. What can students expect in the training and following the training? And what will, uh, if, if students or parents, it's usually parents that are probably going to suggest it to their son or daughter, more son if we're talking about autism, since it's more common with boys and, and girls. What will this training look like? Will it be exactly as you've described that will take place at San Bernardino Valley College? Yes. Be pretty close. I mean, um, we've done this quite a few times now. I've written a 135-page book on how do you do it. Mm. So um, lessons learned. And then part of what we provide is the consulting to the school. We've been doing that already with San Bernardino on what we've learned. And that's always been useful because it's the first time for them. So what they can expect is a selection process. Um, one thing we should say, look, I'm a parent of two kids on the autism spectrum. Mm. I know what parents are going through. When they're teenagers, you live, you, you're awake every night. How are they gonna support themselves when I'm not here anymore? Right. And what results from that sometimes is a parent forcing their child into a program. We don't want that. It won't work. So. We always ask the, the prospective student, why do you want to do this? And um, what we're looking for is not that they know what even CNC stands for. Right. But that they things they like doing match. For example, we might ask, well, what kind of games did you like to play as a kid? What kind of games do you like to play now? If you like playing with, um, um, you know, the, the, the putting things together. The Legos. The Legos. The Legos. Legos, yeah. Oh, this is a good thing because that's what you'll be doing. Yeah. Right. So we want that natural way of operating to sort of fit the job. And um, so that's what they can expect is some sort of a selection. Um, and then um, the training program, as I've said, generally the hours vary. It, I don't know exactly what San Bernardino is planning, but it'll be something like all day. Right. You know, we're pretty close to it. There'll be in a cohort of, students that have the same diagnosis. And what we've found is those cohorts bond. And it's really great, you know, because social issues are generally part of the problem. And so they don't necessarily have a group of people that match what they like. And all of a sudden they do. Mm. And 
you know, they like, they're looking for the same job, they're going through the same training. And so there's a, there's a real bonding that takes place on the part of the cohort. And I wanna make clear, we're not just dumping these kids in and say, go for it. There's a huge amount of support that we make sure is there. You know? So if somebody doesn't show up for class, somebody calls and finds out, not like you're bad and wrong and you should show up, but what's going on? Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you need? It's a totally different way of operating. Um, and we make sure in the class that they're prepared or the training program, that they're prepared for what's gonna come next. For example, transitions are typically difficult for people with autism. Yes. But here's what's great is if you prepare them, if you know exactly what's going to happen and you train them and prepare them, they can actually do great things. And I'll give you an example. At our second UAA at College of the Canyons, um, the head of that program um, suggested that they do a job fair in the morning and the afternoon and do graduation that night. Now, a job fair is there's 10 employers in 10 different rooms, and you have 15-minute interviews. Now, I don't know about you. I would be intimidated by that. <laughs> and, and somebody who's got autism, you've now described the worst of all possible worlds, right? right. Yep. My God, yeah. transition. And I got to do it in the morning and in the afternoon, and I'm being exa- evaluated and judged. And God, that sounds terrible. And we told him it wasn't going to work. And he said, with the proper training, they can. So they did. They they prepared their resume. They prepared a folder for each uh, employer. They were all set to go. They rehearsed. They came one night dressed as they were supposed to come dressed nice. for it. And then they did a, a, a um, what would you call it? Like they had three rooms set up with people acting as employers. Kind of a mock had, mock interviews and exactly. style. Yeah. Yep. And they went through it and they got asked the kind of questions they might ask, although that was also handled in the training. So, and that was on the film, one of the films that we made. And one of the, uh, the grads said, you know, when I went in the room, yes, I was nervous, but I was really well prepared. So that's really important because we know this population, while they may have the skills to do the job, getting through the interview is usually where they bomb and it doesn't go further. And yet we know that some of these individuals have enormous talent and intellect and can do so much. But if you can't get through the interview, you're never going to get the job, right? Well, we actually, part of what we deal with is suggesting to the employers how they do the selection. Mm. And one of the strong recommendations is don't use HR interviews. It's a waste of time. Exactly. Unless the HR person really knows about autism and knows about the program, knows about the job, you know, then it's fine. But that's not typical. Right. So we actually, who does the interviewing those job fairs is often uh, a general manager or even the head of the company. Ah, even better, because they actually know the the product and what they're doing and the questions they can ask and, and, and share exactly. that information. Okay, let me ask you, we just have a few minutes left. Um, what about the individuals who aren't quite suited for this, that maybe aren't a level one, as you described, uh, what do you suggest for them and their families? Very good. So we have a, so we would say there's two kinds of jobs. There's jobs that require prior training, like the, what we've been talking about. Right. And there's jobs which do not, which are generally for this second group. We, we, we want to handle everybody eventually, but we're not ready to do that yet. So there are people for whom um, the sophistication of a job that requires prior training is not applicable to them. You, things like um, what we call deburring, assembly, 
running simple manual machines. Um, lot, there's a huge amount of jobs in which employers do not expect these uh, prospects to come in trained. So what do we do about that? Well, um, we've done a couple of things. First of all, we've, as I said, we're training job developers to speak business. And that's an important part. Mm -hmm. But the real side is the, is the businesses. So what we've done there is a lot of communication, articles, and resources um, to one, let them know they've got a lot of these jobs. And generally, when they advertise, they don't specify things like able to handle high repetition and yet maintain detail focus. <laughs> I, I worked with the, with the fastener manufacturers for years. That's in none of their literature. Right. And yet that's the crucial thing for success. Right. So and that's perfect for, for this population. They love it. I mean, again, certain aspects of it. Right. They love that. Give me a job to do. It's the same thing every day for five days a week. I'm happy. Right. So that's the first thing is to get the, um, the companies to look for abilities, not just skills. Right. And even they, and advertise for that. And then the second thing we have to educate them is just like what you just said, there are populations which love that job. They can't imagine that. Because right. we think everybody's like us, right? Yes. And we would hate it. And so we have to educate them. There's populations who love that job. And then even if they got that, they'd say, but where do I go? How do I find these people? So we've made lists on our website of who do you call? If you're in Burbank, here's the four people you can call, the job developers. And then the last thing we did was have a common language because if the company calls and says, I need a 10 ton press operator, most job developers are not gonna know what they're talking about. Right. So we made up a job a list of jobs and tried to describe what does a 10 ton press operator mean so that the job developer can look at that and say, okay, let me look at my consumers and see who's a good fit for that. Right. And so far, it's been a really good match. Yeah, we have just about a minute left. I want you to share with me maybe one or two, if you can, success stories that you were talking about the percentage that go through the program and that jobs are available and they get jobs. So if you can share a little bit of your success stories. Well, there was, um, there was one graduate. I think they were from Glendale Community College, which was our first, we got started there. And I remember at the second graduation. So he was part of the first one. And he was so intimidated by speaking publicly that he had somebody else read his, his story. But he talked about how his life was different. He was able to have his own apartment. He had bought a car. You know, he was making his own decisions in life. And I don't know that it gets any better than that. Yeah, I don't either. Dr. Ivan Rosenberg is the founder and president of the Uniquely Able Project. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit more. I look forward to seeing the project here on the campus of San Bernardino Valley College. Thank you very much. Really been a pleasure. Dr. Ivan Rosenberg is the founder and president of the Uniquely Abled Project. You can find more online at uniquelyabledproject.org. That's uniquelyabledproject.org. We'll include the web address and the link when we post the show on our program page. Join us again next week for another episode of Inland Edition. That's Wednesdays at 2 p.m. and 6.30, right here on 91.9 KVCR.
To hear this episode and past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash Inland Edition. You can also listen to Inland Edition on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or search for Inland Edition on your streaming service. Inland Edition is a production of KVCR News. Support for this production, including writing and editing, comes from Sharina Wad, Rick Dulock, and David Fleming. And we get technical website and social media support from Tim Steidel, Sean Houlihan, and Andrew Caravella. Our intern is Jamal Willis. I'm your host, Lillian Vasquez. Thanks for listening, and bye for now.